0: Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TV Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know, I'm going to ask you to do if you haven't already hit subscribe on YouTube, turn on those notifications and please connect with me on LinkedIn because I love to stay connected with you. Now, today you are going to meet Kathy Claridge. She is the executive director of Exchange for Change. She is almost a lifelong journalist who spent 13 years doing investigative reporting work in Haiti and has a very varied and diverse background. But now, through her nonprofit organization, she is teaching prisoners how to write and share their stories. It is important work, and she tells us exactly why in this episode our physical mental and emotional health is not just a want it is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses lift you up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. All right, well, today I'm so excited to meet virtually and introduce all of you to Kathy Claret. She's the executive director of Exchange for Change and has a really fascinating story that I'm so excited to learn much more about. Kathy, uh, welcome to the show. So excited to meet you. So nice to be here. Thanks for the invite. No, thanks for being here. So tell me a little bit more about you. Where in the world are you? (laughs) Are you here in South Florida? I am. I'm in I'm in Miami. Yeah. Oh, okay, so we're neighbors (laughs) just down the street. Um, So tell me a little bit more about, first we'll start with Exchange for Change and then I wanna learn more about you.
1: Well, so actually to learn about Exchange for Change, I feel like I need to go back and just say a little bit about my background because without my background, this is one of those stories where you don't know what you're doing in the past, it's gonna lead to where you are in the present. Absolutely. we can talk more about it, but my career as a journalist um, had me placed in Haiti for about half of the 25, 30 years that I worked as a, as a professional journalist. And when I was back in Miami, um, the first time after a, a longer stay in Haiti, um, I wanted to use my love of Haiti, the Haitian culture, um, in a way that was useful in the United States, but not go to Little Haiti, wh- of which um, those of you in South Florida are pretty familiar with Little Haiti, but it's a really large Haitian population. And there's a lot of people doing a lot of really great work. And if you can't see me, you'll know I'm a white, you know, middle-aged woman and just didn't feel like that was the right place to go. But um, I had maybe 10 years prior to that, gone to a dance performance inside the women's prison in South Florida, down in Homestead. And it had always sort of stayed in the back of my mind that this was one of the most remarkable experiences I ever had. So I approached the organization that had done this dance performance. And I said, you know, would you guys be open to my teaching a writing course for Haitian women um that are are incarcerated here and they thought that was a really good idea and it turned out that not enough haitian women signed up for the class and so i said okay well i'll just start teaching writing and that i mean we can jump you know much forward but that's actually how i got involved in in the work that i'm doing now
0: i love it and that was something that jumped out to me in your bio we have in common as far as i was also a former journalist and um I didn't spend quite as long in the business as you, um, but I, I always love meeting other storytellers, journalists, lovers of writing. I've interviewed several on this show, and um, there's just so many commonalities there. So tell me a little bit more about your career as a journalist, your love for writing and the work that you were doing in Haiti.
1: My background actually is in botany. I went to school and I studied plants. Um, And then I, I, that was in, um, that was the University of Michigan. But then I ended up going to California. And while I was there, I got involved in some organizations that were doing social justice work. And through that, I um, ended up opening a handicraft store. For a nonprofit that was buying handicrafts directly from the people who were producing it, so it was it was this way of what is now known as fair trade, but back then was um, I'm really old, so it was you know long before it started to be kind of a more more commonly known thing. And because of my love for handicrafts and the arts, I went when the government in Haiti fell, the the dictatorship, the Duvalier dictatorship. I went to Haiti that same year and could not believe the wealth of handicrafts and it made perfect sense to start to buy the handicrafts for the store that i had in san francisco so i actually went to haiti i took a leave from running the store i went to haiti for what i thought would be three months to buy handicrafts to go and explore the various artists and and um, grassroots groups that were making handicrafts so that i could carry them in the store and within a week of getting there, the government fell and there was uh, one coup after another. And so I I had a decision to make. I could either come back home or I could stay and try and figure out what to do. And so I stayed and then I actually didn't come back for about 10 years. So that's how I ended up becoming a journalist. Did you know you were gonna stay that long? No, i i know. I mean, of course, I didn't even know if I could make it from one day to the next because if anybody's ever been in that kind of situation, you know it's very um it's traumatic, and there's a lot of upheaval, and I didn't speak the language, and I thought I was gonna be tooling around the countryside, you know, talking to peasants and finding out about their handicrafts. and instead, I was watching um the collapse of the government and everything else that was happening in the capital. And I feel really fortunate because. I've always had a curious mind. I had really good contacts. And someone said, you're right there. Like, tell us what's happening. And so they connected me with someone from the San Francisco Chronicle. And I got my first piece published there. And then I was on the ground, right? I was there at the right time, in the right place. And so that's actually, I then ended up becoming a journalist.
0: Wow. I love that you said I always had a curious mind, that's always what uh, one of my journalism mentors told me, like, you have to just have this love um, for curiosity at at all times and be willing to ask the questions and wonder. So um, you clearly had that because you were inspired to stay. You know,
1: Um, I, I, I have to tell you, Tamika. There are two, I mean, I owe a lot to the way that I was raised, but I really, my mom has passed, but I really want to give her credit because she said after the government fell, you know, and I called her and I said, I don't know what to do because I've rented out my house and, you know, somebody's taking over the store for, for three months. So what do I do? And she said, well, you have two choices. You either come home and figure it out or you stay and you get involved. And then years later, she said, I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> to actually give you an option. But then she also said, um, finally, someone is paying you to ask questions because you've been asking questions <laughs> your entire life. So, yeah, as I said in the beginning, you don't know where these things are going
0: to end up. So you end up reporting about Haiti um, from Haiti for the San Francisco Chronicle, and um, and how long did you do that for? What was that transition into journalism like for you?
1: Well, I ended up staying, I mean, not continuously, because um, I ended up having a child and coming back to the state, but I stayed for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really built a career as a print journalist mostly, but I did do radio and I did work for television. So I, I did all three. Um, and, you know, the first year or two was just figuring it out uh, learning the language trying to figure out what a journalist does and how they do it and my main gig was the uh sorry the christian science monitor and i had an amazing woman faye bowers shout out to Faye Bowers, uh who held my hand and walked me through and i credit her a lot to the
0: journalist that i became after 10 years did you move back to san francisco you're like i'm just gonna throw you for a loop throughout this entire story
1: (laughs) there's a lot of stories here so in in the middle of all of this i ended up having um having a child with a, a haitian man that i ended up marrying and so i was raising my son um at this point this was now we're in 1998 um, and I was working, actually, at this point now for a television crew for Dateline, NBC. They'd come down to do a report. And we got held up at gunpoint um, with all of our equipment, and, and the situation was really dicey. But this had been the third time that I was held up at gunpoint, and I was raising my son, obviously, and my stepdaughter, and I was... Um, I'm I'm very embarrassed about the way I reacted. I was naively cavalier when someone pulled the gun on me because I didn't actually think it was someone who was going to hold us up. I thought it was someone who wanted to get money from us. And when I realized, because I pushed his hand away and I kind of cursed at him, but then when he drove away with the car and all the equipment for the Dateline crew and left us standing on the side of the road, I thought, oh, all right, this is a sign. It's It's time to leave. So I did not go back to San Francisco. I mean, within two weeks, I packed up my stuff and came to
0: Miami because it was the closest port of entry. Okay. Three times that had happened to you. I mean, can you give me a little more context around that? Um, some of
1: it was political and some of it was social, um, The the right. unrest and... As a reporter, there were times when I was caught in that situation and then there were times just as, you know, someone who lived there with her husband and her kids and had friends and went out and did normal things that normal people do. So yeah, I mean, you know, you just sort of lived trying to be street smart. And when I stopped being street smart, that was when it was time to go.
0: I have to know what happened next. Well, then, then things calmed down, right? I came with okay. my son and my husband and my stepdaughter
1: and said I was done. I wasn't going back to Haiti. That was it. But of course, you know, all good intent. What's the road to- is paid with good intentions. I ended up going back and reporting from time to time, but I actually stayed in Miami working as a um, as a reporter here. And then in 2009 is when I decided that I needed to, sort of reignite my love of Haiti. And that's when I went to the prison. So I started teaching in the prison in 2009, but then in January of 2010, the first big earthquake happened. And so I immediately got pulled back down um, with ABC the day after the earthquake and ended up staying um, again for three more years.
0: Wow. I mean, how did you feel at that point, knowing, you know, in the way that you left, um, that you were going back and for an extended period of time.
1: Well, I, I, to be honest, when I went down with ABC, I had no idea for how long it would be. I mean, I packed I was actually in, in Boston. I flew to Miami. They picked me up. I flew in, in, um, you know, a small plane with some of the major reporters from NBC at the time or ABC. We didn't even know if we could land, right. Cause it's just 24 hours after the earthquake. So I really had um, a small suitcase. And that first trip, I stayed 10 days. Then I came back, got a camera for them, got some training and went back and worked for them for another six months. And then I got a fellowship um, to train Haitian journalists and in investigative reporting. So that's what kept me there for a longer period of time. And I have not been
0: back to Haiti since. It's um, been nine years. So. Um, yeah, it's been a really long time. So, tell me about the transition into you know as executive director as it for uh, of Exchange for Change. So, I think the most important thing for me when I came back after the
1: the three years um, post earthquake was that my world had been turned upside down in a way that I still think I'm trying to process, right? It was incredibly traumatic, so many lives lost. And as a reporter, you're telling other people's stories, right? Mm -hmm. When I came back um, and went back into the prison, which I did almost immediately, the same women, the same uniforms, the same lines that they walked, the same schedule, And their lives obviously had continued on what seemed to be the same plane. And I thought that's, that's not true. They're not the same people. They have spent three years evolving as individuals and we know nothing about them and we care nothing about them because they're locked away. And that was really the motivation for me to say, this is an opportunity to really get involved and let the incarcerated people in our country tell their own stories. And I think that that was the genesis of what has now come to be Exchange for Change is that my teaching one class inside the prison is my reaching what, X number of students. But if we could form a nonprofit where we could get lots of people to go in and teach lots of classes and bring lots of voices out, that there is a real potential for a more systemic change. Why was that important to you? Part of it is, innate or inherent. I think um, I say that I grew up in Cleveland, which, you know, literally and figuratively, I'm a native of Cleveland, Ohio, but my first real education was in Haiti. um, Experiencing, living, seeing, feeling, tasting the injustices of the world. Um, The extremes of poverty and corruption and kindness and Mm -hmm. um, resilience, which is an overused word, but in Haiti, they are indeed resilient. And then my second, like graduate school was in prison. There has to be a way that we change the system because prison as a system is not working. And -hmm. again, maybe I'll just credit it. My parents, you know, they always... Uh, provided us opportunities to do what we want to do, and my curious mind is like, this is not right. You know, what can we do to to change things?
0: Mm-hmm. I wrote that down. Prism is a microcosm of the world outside, um, and I think I share a lot of that as a journalist. Like, I get so interested in hearing your mm-hmm. stories because growing up, like, I loved the ABC, you know, Nightline, and you know, 2020 or watching NBC Dateline and like all of those shows, because I, I'm so interested in like this 360 kind of storytelling that, we're, that allows me to learn and understand different perspectives um, and perspectives on things that I have never been exposed to. And I feel like that's what always drew me personally to journalism and specifically wanting to be an investigative journalist and go deeper. So it started it sounds like it started as teaching you teaching a writing class, like you said, that one year um, or so before you went back to Haiti for three years, you go back, you, you come back to the US and then you go back to the same prison and see the same people and is that where the it really sparked the idea for this nonprofit so that you could touch more
1: yeah i although again um i'm really bad at long-term planning and my board my current board can tell you the same thing but <laughs> wh- what happened fortuitously is that a professor from Fort Atlantic University contacted Artspring which was the name of the organization that i was working for at the time and she was teaching a graduate level course on the rhetoric of writing um, from by and about incarcerated women, and so she contacted Spring and said, "You know, do you guys have any writers?" And so um, Professor Wendy Hinshaw contacted me, and we went out to Panera or something and sat down and talked about how could we um, coordinate her curriculum with her students uh, up at FAU in Boca with these women who are incarcerated down in Homestead. So we came up with this idea of a written exchange where her students and my students read the same thing, they wrote a response to it, and then they exchanged papers. And they read each other's papers and then they wrote back. So it was like this letter writing exchange that went on for the entire semester. And at the end of the semester, we're like, wow, this model um, does, does a bunch of things, right? First of all, um, it brings communication skills into the prison, which is the, really the basis for what Exchange for Change is. But then it, this other thing is that it allows our incarcerated students to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel validated. And for the outside student, they all of a sudden have an opportunity, a really unique opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation with someone who is a writer in a different academic institution. So it exposes them to their own biases or prejudices or preconceived ideas about who the incarcerated person is. So that ended up being the model for the found the foundation of Exchange for Change, which has this 2 mission, right? To bring communication skills, writing skills inside, and bring the voice of the incarcerated outside. And this exchange class within Exchange for Change is one of our signature classes. But, I mean, we started off with we moved, I moved over to the men's prison at that point. We started with one class. I had 17 students. And by the time the pandemic shut us down, we were we had 33 classes running, so we grew really fast in the
0: space of six years. Wow, 33 classes. And you mentioned before the pandemic. So how did the pandemic affect the the work that you're doing? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic
1: um, for incarcerated people across the country was the same right from one day to the next. They shut the prisons. and. So you couldn't get inside. It was also really hard to get accurate information about what was happening. And if you know anything about prisons, you know that they are isolated, that they are not designed for um, social distancing or any of the precautions that we were able to take out here. And people were dying um, at record numbers. So the first thing that we did was to put out a GoFundMe And we raised $10,000 to get hand sanitizer and soap inside for for our incarcerated students and for the staff. And then we ended up putting out a call for submissions for a book because we realized what was happening inside Florida prisons was happening inside prisons across the country. And um, I'm very proud to say that a year later, we had found a press and we published a book called Hear Us writing from the inside during the time of COVID. And we have um, 18 states represented with 15, 58 authors um, all talking about what COVID was like in their respective institutions.
0: Wow, that's wonderful. Can you give me an example or two of some of the stories that are shared inside the book?
1: <laughs> Incarcerated population is a microcosm of the population outside, right? So one of our concerns when we put out the call for submissions is, this is all going to be the same. Like everybody's going to complain about how awful it is inside, and, and rightfully so. But in fact, it wasn't because people on the outside would write humor stories, essays, poems. We got the entire array of stories. And so that's really what you'll find in the book. We ended up breaking it into a couple of sections. So one of them just talks about what it was like with COVID, either getting it or preparing it. Another one dealt with what happened when Black Lives Matter, when George Floyd was killed, how that impacted the population. Another section was like the timeline, like, okay, it could be a day, like here's a day in the life of non-quarantine inside a a quarantined environment. And then the last one we called Hear Us, which became the title of the book, which is just random um, stories, essays, poems that didn't go in those other sections.
0: Wow, Um, I guess for someone listening to this and say, hey, this is a nonprofit that, you know, teaches writing communication skills to those in prison, why should I care?
1: I thank thank you for asking that question because it is something that comes up all the time. When you're sentenced, your punishment is that you're removed from society. And that's where the punishment should end. That doesn't mean that your basic human rights should be taken care, taken away from you. So, I mean, Exchange for Change as a nonprofit strongly believes that education is a human right, but also during the time of COVID and even now, healthcare is also a human right. And just because you're incarcerated doesn't mean that you shouldn't have those rights still afforded to you. People should recognize the vast majority of people who are in prison are coming out so why are (laughs) we warehousing them why are we not using that time to our advantage right provide them with the skill set that they need so that when they come out they can be employed that they're not going to be um as the you know as some political parties might say a drain on our economy right we have forty-seven thousand restrictions that are placed on incarcerated people who come out, which I know sounds incredible, but I've done the research. It is, we, we are setting them up for failure when we should be setting them up for success. You know, we have the largest prison population per um, general population in the world. Florida has some of the most harsh uh, sentences, prison sentences in the country. And you should care because when people come out, they will be your neighbors. They'll be the people that wait on you. They'll be around. So it's in everybody's interest to be spending money on making sure when they come out, they're equipped to succeed.
0: I love that you, you know, I I love how you explained that and that you care about this so much um, because like you said, it impacts all of us and we should all care. Um, what's next for exchange for change? I know, I know you're not the long term planner, but or how are you currently operating? I guess you could I don't know if we're post covid or we can say that. But how are you operating now and, and what do you see for the future? So
1: currently we've got I, I, it's around 20 classes. Um, we're mostly based still in South Florida. We're in uh, one women's prison one men's incentivized prison one re-entry center one juvenile residential center and then a prison that's about four hours away um, where the classes are being led by one of our former students who is still incarcerated but took a lead role in um, learning how to do what we do so and, and that particular prison has uh an administration that is really supportive of programs so We've got a couple new things that we're doing, which we hope will take off, and one of them is we just joined forces with this amazing organization in Washington, D.C. called the Frederick Douglass Project for Justice that allows us to bring community members in once a week to sit side by side for a two hour conversation with our students. So again, this fits with our mission of trying to bring the voice of the incarcerated out, only this is an opportunity to bring people from the outside in to sit side by side with them. So if anybody is interested, um, we'll make sure you find out about how you can sign up for this because it's just an afternoon. We've just joined um, forces with the University of Iowa, which has the premier writing program in the country for a four semester course that we hope will end up with a book project so we're always sort of on the prowl for looking for new and interesting things that can help promote our work um and help build bridges across the, the the razor wire
0: wonderful okay so that's a lot going on you got the book um i love that people is is that open to anyone to sign up to potentially spend an afternoon to come in and that two hours to share their story or
1: absolutely absolutely and what we're really looking for is um and i say this lovingly we're not looking for the converted right who already are, are maybe accepting of the fact that people made a mistake and are in prison but hmm. people who who might not otherwise ever think about who is behind bars and see this as an opportunity to go and see for themselves, they'll get a tour of the prison, they'll get to see where they live. And for those of you in South Florida, please close your eyes for a second and think what it is like to live either in an open bay which has 64 people with no air conditioning in Mm. a Florida summer or in a two person cell which has at best you know, a four or six inch graded window with no air circulation. So you get to see this firsthand and then have conversations and I guarantee it will be life-changing because you will see these people as individuals and not as criminals. And it's not in any way excusing someone for committing a crime. I wanna be really clear about that. We're extremely aware that these men and women have left left a lot of victims in their way as they made as they, they committed their crime so we do not want to diminish that but people do change and people do not want to be defined by the worst thing that they ever did and mm-hmm. this is an opportunity for people to see for themselves the kind of thing that we're talking about
0: mm-hmm. i love that on this show we talk a lot about our personal purpose and how that fuels, you know, the businesses that we run or the nonprofits that we start and ultimately helps others live or find their purpose. Um, But I want to ask you, you've had, you know, a, a career that started with botany to journalism in Haiti to what you're doing now. Do you feel like you found your purpose in the work that you're doing?
1: yes um i i feel really privileged um to have had the experience to grow as a person as a result of the people that i've met all along the way but there is something really transformative to sit among people who you know have committed crimes um left a lot of harm um caused a lot of harm and and, and left a lot of damage in their wake and have, become, have grown into the people that they are today, the kind of person that you would invite over for dinner and have a conversation and learn from. So I, I, I feel inspired. Um, not that the work is not without a lot of heavy weight because I walk out of the prisons every day um, knowing what I'm leaving behind knowing the injustices of the system, and also recognizing that there are some people who probably should not be let out. I'm also really aware of that. But as a person, I don't have a lot of regrets. I feel really lucky to have been able to follow the course that I'm, I guess I'm still on, even though I had no idea what it was um, (laughs) when I started it
0: sometimes that's the best way right it leads you to um uh, you know you, you don't want to know what the, is at the end of the path right like you you want I, I think it's more fun when life kind of shows you which direction to go so lastly i always like to ask for um a health or happiness tip something that helps you in your day-to-day life kind of show up as your best self um maybe something you share In some of these classes and it doesn't have to be related to writing but maybe an actionable tip that people can take with them
1: i would you know that's such a that's such a great question i think what i would say is pay attention to your gut right and there's a whole science about why why we pay attention to our gut right but had i not taken the risk way back when um when i went to haiti the first time I don't think I would have ended up where I am today. So there are, it's cliche to say there's no coincidences, but if your gut is mm-hmm. telling you that this is the right thing, despite all odds, um, go with it. Because I think no one knows who we are better than ourselves. And despite all the second doubts that we might have, um, there's there's a reason we are where we are. I mean, what is that phrase? Where I go, there I am. Um, And that's not a bad thing, right? And you can make it even better every day um, just by a single act of kindness.
0: I like that. Pay attention to your gut. Um, And I also really appreciate that I got the, that's a great question from a journalist so that yes, actually me... you ask a
1: lot of great questions I think a lot
0: <laughs> so that makes me really happy i really appreciate that <laughs> it lets me know i'm doing my job well so um tell everyone how they can support you find exchange for change on the website social media so we make sure to link to all that below
1: Yeah, so we, I will make sure that you get the links, but um, we're at exchangeforchange.org with hyphens in between. We have a Facebook page, we do have a Twitter, we do have an Instagram. And Paula, um, who is our social media expert will just be horrified that I don't know them offhand, but we do have them all. (laughs) Uh, We're really easy to find. Um, Just shoot us an email info at exchangeforchange.org, call us at 305. 771 uh, 3241. Let us know if you want to get involved, if you want to teach, if you want to come on a prison visit, uh, you want to come to a graduation. At the end of each semester, we have graduations where you can come in and hear the performances of the people that, on, on the pieces that they worked on each semester. So lots of ways to get you engaged.
0: It's really wonderful. I love that. We'll make sure to link to all of it below. So don't worry for not remembering. It'll be nice and easy so people can click on that. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before we go? Yeah, I want to
1: add one more thing. Um, I think people feel like sometimes they need to do something great. Um, and everybody has really, really busy lives. So You don't have to do anything great, but if you can vote, for example, pay attention to what the candidates have to say about criminal justice reform. Something as simple as casting a vote can make a big difference if everybody understands who it is that they're voting for and where their positions are on the things that are important to you. And then you wanna get involved. There's umpteen ways to get involved, but that's a really
0: simple first step is stay informed and use your vote well said well said thank you kathy so much i i really love learning more about your story your incredible story and the work that you're doing with exchange for change so i'm excited to share this and thank you so so much for taking the time to be here today
1: the thanks is mine tamika and you're a great journalist i loved your questions
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you i love that kathy says in this episode prison is a microcosm of the world outside We all have a responsibility for what happens on the inside, as do those who are on the inside of prison have a responsibility for the acts that they've committed on the outside. So make sure you go ahead, learn more about this incredible nonprofit organization, Exchange for Change. All of that information is below in the show notes. Support them, figure out how you can get involved, go on a prison visit, even share your story to those they work with. This is great work. I'm so excited I have shared her story. And also make sure you connect with me if you haven't already of all the places. I'd especially love it if you connect with me on LinkedIn, hit subscribe on YouTube, Turn those notifications because you know what? We come back each and every week with new episodes and I'd hate for you to miss out. So until I see you back next week, because I know I'll see you then, stay happy, stay healthy.